Drummers Only Radio. Drummers Only is the UK's leading drum shop with store locations in Glasgow and Leeds. Our podcasts are full of interviews, gear reviews, and much more from the unique perspective of a drum shop. The show is hosted by two pasty Scottish dudes who talk real fast. Whoa. Slow down there, Braveheart. So here's Chris, the Glasgow shop manager, and Adam, the social media manager. Be sure to like, subscribe, and let's do this. Good evening, everybody, or good afternoon, or good morning, whatever time of day you're listening. And welcome again to Drummers Only Radio. This is episode number 10, 57. And I am here with a wonderful Instagram personality and very much more, uh, Mr. Tim Baltz. Baltz, is that how you say it? Uh, Baltus, yeah, Baltus. Baltus. Sorry, I should have asked you beforehand. No um, with his wonderful um, Instagram handle, Timbo from Kino. You may have seen him floating around the internet. How are you, Tim? Doing well, doing well. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, if you don't know who Tim is, he's he's, a, he's quite a big deal. And uh, in, in the in the drumming world, he's played on... Uh, God, he's played on tracks from Disney, Zynga, 21st Century Fox, Warner Canada. You work for Pass? So I'm, a, I'm a committee member for the Professive right. Art Society too. Yep. Uh, amazing. Uh, he has his own drumless tracks that are available that he creates. He's also a digital marketing consultant um, and has done lots of work for some some pretty rad drum stores and stuff in, in, the, um, in the States. Um, so we should have some good things, some different things to talk about today, Manny. I hope so. I guess we'll find out. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, that's like tons of strings to the bow, right? That's a lot to be able to do. Not everybody can do the things that you do. So how did you get yourself into all these positions where you can do all these things, man? Well, you know, I had that, that basis of music. I've been playing music since I was eight years old. I've been a drummer since I was 15. And after that, I went to college for business writing. Mm-hmm. And that blossomed into a corporate copywriting career and technical editing, which is basically making instructions more usable. <laughs> and and so, you know, there was there was this time where it's like, how do I bridge all of these skill sets? And Instagram was really the tool for that for me. So I built my personal brand and I was able to uh, sell a bunch of drumless tracks, which then became a marketing effort uh, all in in and of itself, taught a bunch of people, connected with some of these retail shops. And then what worked for me, I was able to uh, use to help other folks. And, you know, using that creative, I don't know, that creative spark that I, you know, bring from the copywriting world and from the music world, and just applying it to these other situations, whether it's, you know, helping Revival Drum Shop uh, figure out how to market Jose's Stoic Drummer book, or uh, most recently now I'm working with uh, Twin Cities Drum Collective up in Minneapolis on some different retail operations things uh, or, you know, product development with Franklin Drums up in Minneapolis, too. So there's there's plenty of brands that I've been working with. And, you know, some of that comes from being a drummer and then working in a drum shop during college and then having gone to college and studied all of these marketing things and then having put those marketing things into practice with uh, my personal brand and, you know, my friends as time went on. Oh, it's, it's- it's so cool. It's so rad. Like I, I, I've seen through the years of, of working in stores how certain brands in the industry will employ marketing people that have no idea what the products are they're selling. They've they've come from a marketing background, but they might have sold uh, medical products or beauty products or watches or do you know what I mean? And and the focus is maybe not necessarily where it should be for for selling the products. So for you, I guess being a drummer, that must change all of that. That's that's what's really interesting. Yeah, and and we see this everywhere is that whether you're in guitars or drums or anything else, DW recently hired a chief marketing officer that came from uh, consumer products. And uh, I think he even worked for Coca-Cola at one point, you know, I, I don't know if you, you saw, but I had vied for their social yeah, media. Yeah, that, that's manager. See that, yeah. That, that was crazy, dude. They posted, I've never seen a company do this before, but they made a little video advertising the social media manager position that they were trying to hire for. And I, I put it in my story. I just said, hey, you know, if you got a few minutes, would you say a few kind words about me on this post? I was thinking, you know what, 20, 30 people maybe say something nice. 500 different people commented <laughs> on that post. It was Amazing. Nuts. So, you know, if that wasn't a, a, a wild stunt, I don't know what is. But um, despite me having done that, despite me having uh, reached out to uh, their VPs uh, through different professional channels that I have, 
unfortunately, I wasn't the right fit for them because they were looking for something else. And after the first round of interviews, it seems like they might be looking for someone from from CPG Consumer Products. And that's everywhere at all the top levels of the industry, where you're talking about drums, cymbals, or any other sector of MI. In my opinion, uh, I think it's you, you can treat some larger companies, the monoliths like CPG, because they're such big names that, you know, it's really not as long as you don't royally screw up your marketing efforts, that company's going to keep floating by and it's probably going to keep, you know, soaring when you get to these medium sized companies, these smaller, very small companies, you know, that's when I think it's even more paramount that you bring in someone who understands uh, drums and drum business uh, to really, really try to bolster whatever efforts you're trying to do, you know, sales, marketing, uh, anything else. Yeah, I guess these these medium and, and smaller companies have different, uh, it's not responsibilities, it's priorities is maybe the word I'm thinking about, about how they have to market themselves. If you have a massive brand name, like you say, it's always going to sustain, isn't it? Because I believe Zildjian put someone in the top who came from, was he at Gillette? Razors. I I think he was. I know he. I know he did ocean spray. John did ocean spray, and yeah, probably Gillette too. It's not about the symbols at that point. I don't think is it because the product's kind of doing its own job. Yeah, you know, Zildjian's a really interesting uh, company to study because now we hear uh, um, a company that's literally maturing into its four hundredth year <laughs> of operation. <Yeah. laughs> it's insane. Yeah, and uh, I've been fortunate to connect with a lot of the folks up there. They have folks from from CPG, but they thank goodness, you know, especially at the front line, uh, they have one really great social media manager who comes from drums. Mm. Uh, she worked in drum retail, uh, particularly the mar the marketing side of it, and so there's a lot of experience there that helps guide some of what they're doing. Mm. Uh, like I said, on the front lines, I think it's most important on the front lines, you know, community management and stuff like that. When you're actually having someone from the company talk to someone else about drums. But yeah, when you get further up to the top, you know, it's, it's a business. And with that maturation that we're talking about here, then, you know, when you're four, when you're a 400 year old company, you got to start figuring out, well, do we just sell symbols forever? There's, mm -hmm. there's a pivot point that, that can come. Uh, Marshall amplifiers is a perfect example over mm -hmm. in the UK after Jim passed away is it was, I believe it was his widow then took over the company over in the state side here sooner than later they had displays in every best buy electronics store selling those little bluetooth mm. speakers that were some of the first to market and they mm. were from marshall mm. so you know there's a there's a pivot there that can take a company and you know add a healthy chunk of money to revenue if you're able to pivot like that and i think a cpg mindset can really help there yes. we see Z zildjian's dabbling in that did you see they just released like some spray painted hats and some like oh. art and stuff like Super funky stuff. And, you know, I think it's trying some of these super off the wall ideas that will help inform where that company is going in the future. So that's going to be a real interesting company to watch over the next five to 10 years. Yeah, I think especially after coming out of pandemic when sales would have dropped basically instantly, you're having to furlough your workforce and, you know, your production. I mean, Remo's production still at half capacity, I believe, you know, so there's so many of these things that, that need that mindset to change it you know, in order to, to grow revenue, to keep going, to, so that we keep getting symbols, so that we can keep getting them over here, getting them in China, getting them wherever they need to go to. You know, it's fascinating stuff, man. It's 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 funny how it all plays down to even a local level, how those decisions will affect us, which will then affect the consumer, you know. Um, and I think you're right about people at on the front line being able to talk drums, because this community... As a as a as a whole is is too big and too niche for you to try and get it to to try and blag it to try and sort of um sort of bullshit your way through it. You're just going to get caught out. You know you're going to get caught out. Like we'll talk probably later about vintage drums. And I remember one of the first times when when I was new staff here. I've been here for fifteen years, basically on and off now, trying to sort of kind of blag my way through vintage drums with someone who's just like nah man you're just you're, that's not true at all and you just can't get caught out with these guys you know drummers know too much oh a hundred percent you know like i was saying earlier i i worked uh used music retail for the mm. five years i was in college and you know i can sell a tom a rock star or a pearl vision kit 
you know, all day and, you know, Hey, it's, it's a drum. Here's a drum that you yeah. can use. But I had to dive into, I'm, I'm located between Milwaukee and Chicago. Okay. And Chicago was the home to Ludwig manufacturing in the sixties and seventies, mm-hmm. Slingerland through the entirety of the com- Well, just about the entirety of the company and Camco for mm. a, a portion of the, the company's history. And even Leedy was was nearby too. So we have all of this vintage stuff that comes out of the woodwork. And yeah. because we're a used yeah. shop, we saw so much of it. Milwaukee, we also then had a retailer called Faust Music, which then brought in some of the European drums. Mm. So we had particularly like 60s sonar. Mm-hmm. We had piles of that stuff over <laughs> here. And it's like, where, <laughs> like how? Yeah, right. So anyways, what that taught me was... Uh, everything about what I know about vintage drums now. And then furthermore, we have a huge vintage drum community. So I'm so fortunate that I had a, an older mentor get me into the Chicago vintage drum show and into that community. And you talk to those, those folks there and living encyclopedias about this stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's, there's one guy who knows everything about hardware. There's one guy who knows everything about Ludwig and one guy who knows everything about this, that, and the other. There's, you know, the symbol guys who are generally pretty weird. You know, there's, there's, all, sorts, there's all sorts of people at these shows. And, but it's just to say that, I, you know, being here is the epicenter of, of drum making mm. in the 20th century. And so being here now in the wake of that, it was a perfect place for me to cut my teeth on that stuff. And I, I feel so fortunate for that opportunity because now, you know, understanding that has informed uh, everything from the marketing efforts that I'm putting into place with different companies and especially product development, mm. you know, so like I mentioned Franklin drums earlier. So it's like having that vintage knowledge not only helps me in a retail setting, but now I'm able to consult and tell Franklin drums. Well, you know, if we're going to develop a proprietary drum shell, why don't we think about what premier was doing back in the day? Why don't we think about what Slingerland was doing back in the day? And then why don't we try to bring that forward? with the manufacturing techniques we know that we can utilize through some of these shell manufacturers. So it's, it's a, it's a very niche skill set, but it can be a very, very helpful skill set for someone like me. Yeah. You, I, you, I think you've just answered the question I was going to ask, which was how did that education inform your, your other skill sets and things like writing copy for uh, a new product? Like how, how do you, how do you do that with the new skills you've learned, you know? Honestly, as far as copy is concerned, copies, uh, copies always come easy to me. Mm. And, and so as far as the drum stuff goes, then it's just really a culmination of, okay, I can talk drums, but I'm a copywriter. So I understand how to talk drums to someone who's never mm. touched a drum before. Mm-hmm. So it's balancing both of these things and trying to create a piece of copy that's going to be as intriguing to the mom who's buying their kid the first drum set, hmm. the intermediate, you know, teenager who's looking for their second or third drum set, or the, you know, the veteran professional who's, you know, maybe even just buying their drums through the manufacturer at this point, you know, so balancing those stakeholders is the copywriting skill set. Right. Understanding the drummer, whether from the retail setting or just the the nerd community setting, <laughs> that just informs the sort of language i can use yeah like because it's not the first time you see some of these huge drum companies that write copy for a product that tells you nothing about it <laughs> you know what i mean like you see oh it's x and y z a shell and like that's all you get you don't get a tonal quality you don't get a construction you just get it's this um which is kind of crazy because as a retailer when someone's like so what does this do and you're like um give me a minute you know, and you've got to comb through it and dig in and, and, and get in touch with someone who has the information that you don't have to then make sure you're not telling someone something wrong. You know, it's, yeah. it's crazy how they're doing it these days. It's, it's, it, I think it's, yeah, it can be more difficult for a retailer. Um, and I think that's, again, why kind of, again, something for folks who are in music retail, stateside or otherwise, I think that we need to try to foster these sort of adjacent skill sets to help us get by. And this is something I tell players all the time. I have uh, clients come to me who are like, how the heck do I do this full time? How do I play music Mm. full time? And, you know, in, in that setting, I'm going to tell them, well, I don't just hit drums all day and get paid (laughs) for it. You know, I'm, I am hitting drums to market myself or to do, you know, remote sessions. 
well, then I'm going to have other drummers over here who need to use my audio equipment and stuff. And I'm going to get paid just to hit record. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to have, you know, these social media management jobs with different little drum companies that I have, uh, I've had in the past. I'm going to have the strategy and the consulting stuff. I'm going to have the copywriting stuff for other companies. And the, you know, it's just to say that this builds and builds and builds and that skills, one skill set informs another. And if you're a retail, you know, employee, I think that's just as powerful a thing because now you can spend your days in the shop and you can really help build those relationships with customers because you can speak from an authentic place with all that knowledge you gain. Mm. And then, you know, you can expand either a, you can expand your role with the company, which was something I did when I was a kid in, in music retail. I took that copywriting and I put it to work and uh, created different uh, documents that we used around the shop that wound up being used franchise all, across all the franchises in the mm -hmm. States. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, there are other ways to do that too, whether it's, especially nowadays, you know, I was, I was working retail 2008 to 2013, you know, now almost 10 years later, you could help out with video production. You could help out with social media management or strategy or, you know, fielding some of these questions online that come in. There's plenty of additional work that can be done in a retail setting that can bolster the shop sales and bolster an employee's resume and eventually help them go on to do bigger things. And so that's something I always stress to to anyone in, in music. Yeah, it's like portfolio career, isn't it? They call it. And it's mm. and it's it's changing so much as well because the retail landscape's changing. The way that people shop now because they haven't been able to go to a store for so long is is shifting. Um, you know, some I'm surprised that some brands aren't selling directly now. Um, you know, especially more of the electronic brands. I thought that would be something that would be picked up a lot sooner. Maybe maybe it's still to come, but because you know some of them are becoming kind of lifestyle brands almost in the way that apple are you know so yeah it's 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 fascinating the whole the whole thing is 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 bonkers you know the whole thing that the way we buy instruments and stuff now is 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 crazy you know and it's i think it's only going to keep changing because i think people are only going to want to buy more online you know so how do we get to sell your vintage 1965k that needs to be played to someone online you know because they don't want to come and get it. Well, you sell it to you sell it to an old an old rich guy who's just buying it to put it in a pile with about a hundred other yeah, cases. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what you sell it to. <laughs> totally. So, um, one of the, the the kind of great things we, or that led us here was just finding your channel because it's it's all kinds of bonkers, man. <laughs> your Instagram channel is amazing. Um, there seems to be sort of um, facets within it. If, if you understand what I mean, like, for example, you were doing Phil's Phil for a while, you know, where you would take another song and play the In the Air Tonight, Phil. And if you all haven't seen this, it's it's tremendous because some of the songs that you wouldn't, you just wouldn't expect to hear that Phil in and it, and it works absolutely perfectly. So how, is that always something you'd be conscious of? You know, you, you, you put your videos up where you're playing some tunes, you put your videos up where you're doing something very specific, and then you put your videos up where you're just being bonkers yeah you know I, obviously it's a balance especially with the crazy stuff right but yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't want people to think i'm too loopy or anything but um you know for me you know first and foremost i'm doing i'm making videos to serve myself mm -hmm. you know emotionally mentally spiritually if you will um and so anytime you're seeing a video on my channel I always stress this whenever I can is that you're not seeing some performance like this mm. is my practice time this filming and the audio stuff is all built into my practice right. regimen so whether you're seeing a silly video or anything else it's that and so you know sometimes I'll have I, I mean there was like a, a freaking month where I was literally just filming Phil's Phil's <laughs> videos and it was it was you know it, it had me smiling and laughing throughout the entire you know experience and it had plenty of other people online smiling and laughing at this stuff and uh you know it came to a point where i was just like yeah i think you know after doing a hundred of these videos i think it's okay to you know i think it's okay to put it down and just play music <laughs> i like again so you know and then i think after the last round of phil's phil's i went into like music uh i loved when i was younger 
mm. just like in the past i there was a time when i was just doing 90s songs yeah for i was a watching some time. of that earlier it's great man yeah Throat, thank makes you. me feel good yeah because <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm that age man I, that's i'm 40 so that that was like huge for me you know and and that's the stuff that i grew up on that my mm. dad had on cassette tape cassette tape mm -hmm, back then mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know and um but then it's the stories that go along with it so for me i'll take these practice things and and then copy comes right in you know last couple of days have you seen my posts it's there was one about me when i was playing death metal when i was mm -hmm, a kid so, and then uh, there was there was one uh yesterday where i was talking about uh vintage japanese drums and the merit of of those products mm -hmm. and and so uh yeah i guess for me the biggest thing with this channel is a it's just me having fun <laughs> and b you know the balance just kind of comes with it uh and where my interest lies at the moment mm, totally totally um is that something that you stress for other people if they're if because i think one of the great things about it is it's authentic right it's not yeah. contrived it's not it's not made up or contrived well i i talk about that with a bunch of my students and i've talked about that on other podcasts all the time this authenticity mm. thing like i mean i think about and I've, I've talked about this on a thousand podcasts, but I'll talk about it until the day I die is that, <laughs> you know, you go, you go on sites like Instagram and, and you have, there are still hundreds or thousands of drummers that are going on there and just playing chops and with a straight face and, you know, no personality. And it's like, what is, what is the merit of this? And are you really enjoying making this video content? Yeah, totally. You know, where, whereas you come on my channel and I'm playing the songs I like, I'm making silly drum videos oh and then i'm reviewing like candy bars from lithuania or something you know like it's 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 more fun and i think it does show this authentic version of myself mm. and i think that's so important because whether you're a, a player or a consultant or a retailer or a manufacturer people aren't buying into just the product no, they're buying into the brand and the people mm -hmm. behind that brand. Mm -hmm. So that's why, you know, especially moving forward, you know, the longer time goes on, I think the more people are going to want to connect with other people, even in their purchasing decisions. Mm -hmm. And so bigger corporations are going to have to start to figure out how they humanize what they're doing in their operations. Absolutely. I, I, I agree hundred percent. Does it make, if you get called for a session, which Tim did he expect to turn up though? <laughs> it depends. Do you know what I mean? It depends. I, I mean, dude, I've had sessions where it's like, hey man, can you do a modern country session? Fine. And then I'm going to sit there for 16 <laughs> hours over two days recording the kicks and then the snares all separate and then the tom separate and then the hat, mm. hat separate and then the cymbals. You know, okay, that's not Timbo. But then I'll have the same client call me up and, and say, uh, Hey man, I have this like big anthemic rock thing. Just just do what you do. Do the do the Timbo thing over it. Yeah. And so it is really dependent on the session, on the client. But um, you know, I try to be very clear in my communication so that I'm not wasting my time and I'm not wasting totally. their time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so you've done a bunch of stuff for for some pretty big names, you know, Disney, Twenty First Century. How does all that stuff go for you, man? Is it is it much like you talked about? Is it the remote guy, or are you going into the studio, or or what's going on? I think just about. I've done a few sessions out of the house, but ninety eight percent of it was in my mom's basement. <laughs> so, you know, like there's something about that room, dude. It's just a, it's really? a good basement, good good cave. So. You know, it all and it all spiraled. You know, I've talked about this before, but basically, it's that. You know, I uh, I had a guy reach out to me on Instagram, mm. and he had seen some of my videos. This was in 2016, and he said, uh, "Hey, I love what you're doing. Uh, love your drum sounds. Uh, have you done remote session work?" And I lied my pants off, and I said, <laughs> "Oh yeah, I've done that before," <laughs> knowing I was ready to take the job, and. So he threw me some work doing the uh, the soundtrack music for a slot machine. Wow! So, not, <laughs> <laughs> so that spiraled into doing video game soundtracks, spiraled into doing TV series and Disney shows mm. and uh, movie soundtracks, all from this same uh, oh, client. Sure. And then you know I've had a few other really big clients who have reached out 
uh, again, just through social media. There was one who reached out, uh, the one I was talking about with the country song and then the Timbo thing. That dude, uh, that's he's, he works with uh, Warner Canada. He's a producer for Warner Canada. And uh, he found me through my TikTok. No one looks at my freaking TikTok. <laughs> so that was like, that was wild to have him reach out through there. That was crazy. Yeah. Your cave looks like it has a collection of amazing drums, man. Has it always been Ludwig that you play? Because I see you're playing, is that a classic maple you're on in Cadillac Green? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So that's a heritage green classic. The heritage green, this. sorry. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always say this, Carter McLean, God bless you. I love you. <laughs> I had that I had that color before Carter. And <laughs> and um but yeah, I, a lot of Ludwig. Um you know why? It's just cuz it works. It works mm. for me. Mm-hmm. Um and uh you know, there's a family connection. My dad's brother, my uncle, who was the guy who got me my first drum set. Uh my grandparents bought him a Ludwig when he was a kid. He still has it. And then oh, wow. when he was a when he was a weekend warrior in the 70s and 80s, he bought an Octoplus you know, with eight concert times yeah. and the double kicks and the whole bit that he played out for years. So, you know, there is there is that connection too. They're great drums. And they're the classic maple I really love because they're easily modifiable. I putzed with the bearing edge, taking off uh, some, oh gosh darn, what's that word? The gaskets on some of the toms and then putzing with the hoops and obviously, the, you know, heads and everything else. So it's like it's, everything is done to spec to make sure that it, projects my voice mm. and i love that kid i'm going to the grave with those drums and uh beyond that then you know i've been so fortunate to connect with a bunch of boutique manufacturers i've got a franklin drum kit coming soon uh i have a uh what else do i have firehouse drums i've been working with eric over there i'll have some of those uh in the basement sooner than later obviously i have my sugar percussion snare drums from jefferson which mm. are amazing um, I got all sorts of stuff. Jenkins Martin. I got a lot of Jenkins Martin drums in the basement right now. Scott uh, makes uh, Blamir, which is the spun fiberglass shells. Right. Very, very cool stuff. But uh, again, you know, so many of those drums are either I'm borrowing them for free from the manufacturer or the manufacturer is giving them to me for free. And uh, and then I have to find room for them in my freaking basement. And, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad problem to have at all. No. What 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 do you think boutique drums like that will give you over over like off the shelf higher branded drums? For me, the difference is being able to fully customize something. Mm-hmm. With the Franklin deal, <clears throat> what I really love about that situation is here's a product where I helped inform the badge, the logo look and feel. I helped inform the shell uh and and what that was going to look like mm-hmm. i had uh informed literally the finish we wanted to go with something that looked like the ludwig standard drums when they made uh lemon strata if you're familiar with that color at all mm-hmm. and we we tried going through del mar to make that happen del mar gave us the old well you got to buy 100 sheets of it and i thought well we're not spending 10 15 grand on 100 sheets of wrap mm-hmm. so we wound up doing it in paint so we had a really really talented paint guy do this and, I, and then from there, I informed, obviously, all the sizes, lug counts, uh, bearing edge, and everything else. So when I'm getting that drum in my house, all those <laughs> drums, every piece of it from the bottom up is informed by my tastes and my preferences. And I know exactly what they're going to do. Because you know, even with the snare drum, the snare drum was the first to be assembled. It's a 14 by 4, 8 lug mm-hmm. with uh, offset uh, beaver tail lugs. So the tension is very similar to what you'd find on a 60s uh, Ludwig downbeat 14 by 4 snare. Mm-hmm. And that drum, when they put it together, sounded exactly what I thought it was going to sound like. And so I expect the rest of these drums to do exactly what I want them and need them to do. And uh, they'll be a great tool for me, whether I'm doing sessions or gigs out on the town or anything else. Do you get to be privy to the actual production process? Do you get to go see it be done? Or I, I got pictures at every step of the process here. They're, they're about a six-hour drive for me, so I'm not, okay. you know, I'm, I'm not hauling up there all the time. But um, you know, it's it's nice to get the pictures and 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 I, like I said, I've been a part of uh, helping inform the way that this brand has been built from the ground up. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really cool. Yeah. It's a funny old thing, the, the, the vintage argument, you know, we have chats with, with customers about it fairly regularly about, um, what's better, you know, vintage or modern. I think, um, I've always been a, 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 a bigger fan of modern drums. I've had some older drums kind of just not fall apart, but they've not been usable. 
you know, hardware especially. But I think brands are getting so much better at creating that. I don't know if you've seen I uh, play the Sonar Vintage Series kit that came out, which is a great, great set of drums, you know, because it's a vintage made the way they did it, but the hardware just works. Well, that's the benefit, right? Is That's where it comes in is the hardware. So it's... Yeah. You don't have you don't have tension rods that are squeaking when you're tuning them up. Yeah, you, you don't have uh, you know floor tom leg brackets or spur brackets that are failing in the middle of a gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the big. You, you have a shell with structural integrity good enough mm-hmm. generally that you can have your singer stand on it with a beer or whatever he's doing during the show. You know, so that's the big benefit of a lot of these drums, and yeah. and uh, that's that's the big thing about Franklin. That was the whole vision for a lot of that stuff. So, and I totally get it with the sonar. Sonar makes an incredible drum. Uh, even some of these other manufa- modern manufacturers um, in the vein of like the Pearl Tama Yamaha thing mm-hmm. with these harder woods and stuff. It's obviously it's a different sound, mm-hmm. but um, it, it's still something that's very usable. And obviously the big factor with all those three brands and the products they're doing is just that that durability. Yeah. And the, their whole thing is resonance, right? The, the, all these mm-hmm. sort of modern drums want the drum to be as resonant as it possibly can be all the r&d that goes into it is how finely the bearing edge can be cut you know all of that what kind of wood will give you more resonance more sustain more of that you know because i think the vintage thing is going the other way it's trying to tail it off tail off as much resonance as possible i think the the the, the brands that have the heritage your ludwig gretsch and sonar are, are really the, the brands that are going to nail it because they've got that like Zildjian, the the, the the over century uh, century long drum kit building history, you know, so they can create those kind of sounds really simply. I mean, Ludwig's still using the same shell machines that they were using in the '60s back in Chicago, so mm-hmm. that's going to help make that happen. Um, I would say though that with with modern drums, yeah, some of the appeal to some players is the fact that they don't come with, you know, uh, worlds of resonance or whatever, mm-hmm. but. <clears throat> For me, I've got a really great fourth generation carpenter up in Milwaukee that does a bunch of work on my drums because I want my vintage drums to do everything that a modern drum can do. So what I'll do is I'll bring them up there. And and I think resonance is often affected because this wood over 50, 60 plus years is going to start to move a little bit. And then the drums get out around. It's the biggest problem we have with Gretsch drums more than any other brand. And so my, my buddy up there will true the bearing edges. We keep that original profile of the edge in place, but we massage it in such a way that a drum head's going to sit a heck of a lot better on mm-hmm. there. And then we should get just as much a modern resonance. But what we're what we're trying to do is use the those those bearing edges, the vintage bearing edges that have a heck of a lot more contact between the head and the and the wood, and let that old, dry, beautiful wood sing much more than the head is singing as as far as what's informing mm-hmm. the drum sounds. So. While some people just like this, you know, kind of old crappy drum, <laughs> there is another path towards, even though you're not going to have the best hardware, you know, I hate freaking 60s yeah. uh, Ludwig spurs. They're the worst. Yeah. But, <laughs> but um, you know, you can still achieve tones with those drums that rival modern drums and often can can beat beat those modern drums in a mm. in a studio setting yeah maybe yeah I, i've you know i don't have the experience where i've a beat them to any yeah. great um to great extent I, I will say head companies are doing uh lots of great work trying to make sure that heads sit on these drums much truer you know slightly widen the collars that kind of thing you know just to make life a little bit easier for people oh totally we were nerding out about um you know drum head companies uh, doing a lot more to make vintage and older drums much more usable as opposed to, like, trying to crowbar a head on to the drum, you know? I mean, the, the first step to that was obviously Evans 360, right? I mean, yeah. that was years ago now that, that came out. And that was such a great tool for anyone with a vintage drum. And since then, I am so appreciative that Remo came out with those classic fit heads too. Yeah. Because those are awesome. Yeah. Now I think what would be cool is to see them expand that line. What I would really like to see is a classic fit. Uh, what do they call that? The vintage ambassador. Yeah. So it's that you know different type of plastic or whatever. I think I think it's a polyester versus a polypropylene or something like that. Yeah, and it's a single ply two ply guy. Right, right. Where there's a hazy on the bottom. So Remo, if you're listening, classic vintage heads. 
Heck, do it in Emperors as well. Just let's go the whole yeah. hog, you know. Let's oh go the yeah, hundred percent. What about symbols, man? Do you do the vintage symbol thing? Or are you are you a modern symbol guy? You know, for me, symbols are a little bit different because they break. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So I like something with a warranty. You know, when I'm spending six, you know, seven hundred dollars on a symbol, well, I'd like to have a little bit more than a year worth of use out of it. <laughs> so yeah, I like going new on that end of things. I'm fortunate to be able to to work through Zildjian when I need symbols through them. Um, and, uh, I work with a few other brands too. So that makes that super easy. And, and what I like about modern symbols too, is that you have a heck of a lot more choice. Mm -hmm. now, obviously we have our classic brands, Sabian, uh, Zildjian and the like, but now you have some of these other players, especially the smaller ones. I love, uh, simple and gong, which All is right. a, a com company out of Portland. Mm -hmm. Uh, one dude who just has these symbols made, uh, great symbols. He does, uh, uh, Istanbul K copies. He does um, symbols in the vein of like Ringo's set from the Ed Sullivan show. Mm. You know, anything you can imagine from a vintage uh, setting, he's recreating now. Mm -hmm. uh, and they're they're all just so cool. And then uh, a little bit bigger than that, obviously, Agup. Uh, yeah. Istanbul Agup has been making some really interesting symbols for for players in in, in my vein. So yeah. that's that's what I really love about. Have, uh, being able to buy symbols uh, today versus you know, being a vintage guy. I'm not paying 2000 bucks for a freaking Istanbul K-Ride, all right? No. And listen, man, you got to go through a crate of them to find out which one is the good one, right? So the, the, the difference now between... God, even in the, the sort of 15 years the, the shop's been here, the way that symbols are being made and the, the trends that have changed, and you didn't have dry symbols like you do now in the same way... It, by any stretch of the imagination, you know, that's become a massive thing these days, you know, brands like Mino, um, uh, the interview that just dropped actually that, that we recorded was from uh, a guy called Norbert, who's the A&R for Mino, um, yep. and just listening to their manufacturing process and some of that stuff's amazing, you know, one of the first major brands to keep using Turkey that, yeah. weren't, a, that weren't a Turkish brand, you know, yeah. You know, um, just let's go and, and, and do this properly at the home of symbol making. You know, it's it's pretty amazing. I think, I think Minel came out of Durrett. What is it? Durrett uh, Mural? Didn't that come out of that? Uh, no. They, or they, their manufacturing or whatever? Or was they, it always Minel? Yeah, it was always Minel. Um, certainly, um, the, the, the understand that I have, it was, it was started by Roland Minel, basically in his basement. He came home after the war and was a traveling salesman. And he, he always knew how to make mu musical instruments. Uh, and then he just, him and his wife, started making cymbals somehow. I don't know if they were buying yeah. the metal. I don't know what they were doing. But, um, yeah, maybe the, the factory that they have in Turkey was from there. Who knows? Maybe there was a connection there at some point. I feel like yeah. I read that somewhere. But, yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, again, just as, yeah, the fact that we have a German company that's making, um, well, you know, I guess you could say distributing. I guess they have dedicated factories. So manufacturing, you know, world-class Turkish symbols is yeah. on, at scale. That's the yeah. other thing at yeah. scale. Yeah. You know, Minel is one of the top three symbol companies now. Amazing. Just amazing. crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Um, and it's, it's very German of them to be like, well, we're going to do this. We'll do it properly, you know, and, and that we'll, we'll, we'll find a, a factory in Turkey and we'll do it how it should be done. You know, yeah. got to respect that. Got to love that, you know. Oh, so you, you're into drum history, right? What's that? You're into drum history. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. So, I mean, let's let's. How did that come around? Because not everybody's into drum history, man. Not everybody loves it. Some guys just want to play. I hate history. I've always hated <laughs> history. When I was in school, I think in college, one of the only B minuses I ever got was in a freaking history class that I had to take. <laughs> but uh, I think because I have the interest in drums, the interest in. Uh, in it being such a locally focused thing with Chicago being here and then the drum show. Um, and then an interest in creating uh, how to create different types of drum sounds. Mm -hmm. It just kept me on track with just diving more and more into that, having that retail background, you know, I'd have mm -hmm. old beach premieres come in. I'd have <laughs> vintage, vintage beach sonars come in or uh, you know, all sorts of, the old Ludwig Slingerlands and all the, the regular stuff too. And I would, I would be able to touch these drums and tune these drums and rehead these drums. And 
really start to understand, oh, okay, so, you know, an old Yamaha recording custom might sound appropriate for a certain setting mm. because I was able to hit touch sets and sets and sets and sets of those things back when they were worth nothing. They should have bought one. <laughs> and, you know, and then I would have a bunch of Ludwigs that would come in and I'd tune those up, rehead them, whatever, hit them. And it's like, oh, okay, here's the difference between these two very different mm. uh, vintage drums. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's all it was, was just being a nerd about tone more than anything. <laughs> Do you think it helps that it's effectively an American instrument? Mm. And there's, uh, we had a really interesting guy on the podcast before who who talks, his whole thing is a, he's a drum historian. Well, he's actually a music historian, but his thesis is, or his book that he, that he wrote was basically traces the evolution of popular music through the drum set. And it's tremendously fascinating. I don't know if it's because it's, you know, sort of the, I don't know, US centric, but the older I get, the more I get more interested in the stuff that wasn't built in the US. Penguin out of, you know, Brazil, mm. or like obviously Premier, love Premier, uh, love the old Beverly stuff. Mm -hmm. I really love like the old Heyman stuff. Yeah. Woo! Yeah, yeah. It's oh, great. I used to have one when I was a killer. kid. They're I had a great. Yeah, I had a Heyman when I was a kid. Talk about, um, Floor tom brackets that the drum would fall down because it wouldn't it wouldn't hold the the wing nuts wouldn't hold the legs in place you know, but it had the original heads on it. It still had the lever dampeners on it. Great, great drum set. You know? All those drums. And when you get into Europe too, you know what's so cool is seeing some of the old Italian drums, some of the old French drums, mm. obviously the German drums and stuff like that. It's just like such a different world. Mm. And and uh, again, whether it's influencing uh, my sound aesthetic. Or my visual aesthetic, because a lot of those European companies had freaking kooky finishes that were, you know, all their own and amazing. Um, and the lugs, too. Like, I always, I love a lot of those old Beverly lugs. Just yeah. so, just gorgeous stuff. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it just, it, it continues to inform uh, everything that I do on a daily basis. Yeah, totally. I can imagine it well, especially if you're doing a lot of recording especially yeah. if you're doing a lot of recording so are you at the stage now where if a session comes through and they want a specific vibe you know exactly where to go 100 percent. amazing yeah. amazing yeah it's like that's the the dream right to be able to just like i just know exactly what's going to work do, can you do yeah. it for a, for other rooms like can you walk in a room and be like i know it would sound great in here not just that yeah but I, that's actually a service that i offer uh oh, wow. I, I, I i'll go into studios and they'll be like how do i get cool drum tones and i'll say all right let's let's start with the drums and we'll uh, beforehand i'll tell them they'll tell me what drums they have and symbols they have and i'll say all right we're gonna get these heads and these wires and this that and the other these doodads and then i'll get in the studio and put that together knowing they're you know the rest of the the technical stuff of the uh, uh audio gear then i'll say all right we're gonna plug these certain mics in and use them in this position and plug them into whatever preamps and from there, I'll get in the room and I will start to move the mics. I'll start running around and talking and clapping and stuff, trying to get an understanding for the aesthetic of the studio. Uh, most recently, I did one in uh, just north of Chicago and I was in this guy's studio and, and he really wanted to try to get a, a bigger room sound out of his uh, smaller space. And he was in a basement. And so there was the live room and there was a door. And he would go through the door and that would lead directly to the stairwell. And, and he, I asked him, had you tried putting like a room mic in that stairwell? And he said, yeah, but there's some, there's some funky resonance issues and, and, and you could hear it when you walk up the stairwell. But when you got above a certain point in the stairwell, the, the ceiling just like jutted up and I went up there and I'm like kind of clapping and talking in the space right there where it opened up. And I, I thought this is, this is where the mic needs to go. So we took the five minutes, put the mic right there. And sure enough, from tuning these drums to now placing these mics exactly where they needed to be, I got them exactly where he wanted to go tone wise. So having that understanding of what drums are going to do what things sonically and what heads and accessories like wires are going to make a difference in that effort. And then understanding what microphones are going to produce what sounds with those drums and understanding where those microphones should go to produce the sounds that the 
uh, producer, engineer, studio owner want. It's an amazing skill set. Uh, it's a, if it, I mean, if there's a niche skill set, that's about the most <laughs> niche skill set I've got. Uh, but I, I love it because it's so rewarding. Because you know, with this last guy I went and helped out, he was just like, oh. I never would have thought to put a mic there. I never would have thought to do this with that drum mm. or to, you know, do this mix trick or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I, I left there knowing that he was going to be able to achieve all the drum tones he's ever wanted to produce in that studio. That's so amazing. that's, yeah, totally rewarding. Like, how did you learn all that though? Like, uh, you, like the mics and all that, is that just trial and error or is it something you've always been into nerding out on, on tech gear and things like that? I got my basis in recording uh, from a guy I was in a band with in uh, the mid 2010s, and I, I've been recording since I was 13. Right. I got a I got a four track back then, which then <laughs> turned into uh, at 15. Uh, me and a buddy of mine built out a studio in his basement. <clears throat> uh, the like even to the point where the guy who built my buddy's deck out in his backyard, and then the guy who built the deck for uh, the pool we had in my backyard here as a kid, uh, we hit him up as Mr. Gehring. And we said, Mr. Gehring, we're trying to build a recording <laughs> studio. Can We don't know what the heck we're doing. We need a wall so we could have, you know, a room for the computer and a room for the truck. And he said, listen, I got this double pane window. I'll, I'll help you guys do this whole thing. We built a freaking wall. Wow. And I mean, we did it proper, dude. And we, from there, uh, we built a homemade sub kick i remember that we had a bunch wow, of cheap mics yeah. and then we built a homemade sub kick out of two by fours and a freaking 15 inch speaker <laughs> it was stupid but again it was you know i was learning then and that continued to it really blossomed you know about i guess it would have been 20 2013 2014 and you know it's just continuing to dial in those sounds so much of it is trial and error mm. and uh i feel very fortunate that i worked a job for a long time that allowed me to spend a lot of money mm. on equipment, uh, you know, mics and cables and interfaces and computers so that now I can get a really professional sound out of my really cheap basement. Yeah. And, and I can go into any environment and, and replicate what I do while getting the personality out of whatever room I'm in. Uh, yeah. when I, you know, when I quit my corporate job in 2019, I was driving around the States uh, for four, four or five months. And I was in Portland for a big chunk of time, Portland, Oregon. Mm -hmm. And I was staying in uh, the basement of Jake Endicott, who manages mm -hmm. uh, Revival Drum Shop. Mm -hmm. Jake is a saint for letting me stay there in his basement. <laughs> and uh, came up that uh, a guy in California wanted me to do five or six songs for his EP or whatever. I said, no problem. I had to quote him high because I had to ship a bunch of equipment out to freaking Portland so I could record this stuff. So I had the equipment shipped out and Jake let me use his old, he's got a beautiful set of clear interior, uh, clear maple interior Ludwigs in black lacquer, amazing drums. So I'm using his drums. I got my cymbals. I got my recording stuff and I, uh, I had to figure out this guy wanted like a big nineties rock thing, like a Seattle type of sound. And I'm in a carpeted basement. <laughs> and so I thought, what the heck am I going to do? And it was kind of a C shape. So at the bottom of the C was this bedroom where I was staying. It was also doubled as the drum room. And then up the curve of the C was this sort of hallway area in the basement. And at the top of the C was a fully tiled bathroom. And I thought, oh, wow. hmm, I put a, uh, uh, an AKG 414 in Omni, I think, in that bathroom for my room mic and, and had all my close mics too. And I'll tell you, as stupid as that sounds, that was one of the coolest room sounds I have ever had. Yeah. And it was just because I was like, well, you know, this could do something interesting. And I, it's it's just like with technology. If you're teaching your mom how to text you back on her smart, you know, her new smartphone, she's not going to break it. You have to tell your parents you're not going to break the freaking phone. Just keep trying until you get it right. Yeah. And recording's the same way. You're not going to generally you're not going to break a microphone by putting it a certain place or whatever. Your tone yeah. isn't. Maybe it sucks. Maybe it maybe it doesn't. But you're not going to break anything. So just trying these things, yeah. you know, 
putting the what ifs into into reality uh it's worth it you know that's it's how i achieve my drum tone it's how i've learned what works and what doesn't and you know now here in 2021 is it 2021 i think it's 2021 for a a little bit longer yeah close enough and um you know here in 2021 i can confidently go into any space now with this knowledge base that i've built and get a cool drum sound yeah so i think so many people don't realize as well that it's about context and they, mm-hmm. they want a kind of one size fits all. Let's just how do we make, how do we get a cool drum sound? Well, what does that even mean? What is the song you're playing? You know, so on so forth. Because a cool drum sound for one song is not going to make a cool drum sound for something like that. You know, Bonham and Bjork. There are going to be different things. You're not going to put those two worlds unless that's a conscious choice. You're not really going to put those two worlds together. You know, I don't think anyway. You know what I mean? I, like, I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so man. Um, it's been really great. Thank you so much for for coming on and, and, and chatting through. Um, what's coming up next for you? What what have you got going on that people can that people can find out about? Or well, I, I think you're, one, are you teaching again? I am. I am. So happy <laughs> December. <laughs> and, and let me tell you guys, uh, I am now partnering with uh, Big Fat Snare Drum as the official ah, educator. Amazing. Of Big amazing. Set Big Fat Snare Drum. So if you want to book a lesson on uh, how I play my chops or how I do my recordings or how to optimize, you know, your recordings or your social media, you know, that is the thing that I'm doing now. It can all be booked through bigfatsnaredrum.com or you can always DM me on, on Instagram. Happy to do that. Uh, so that's going to be the big thing here at the end of the year. And uh, and we'll see what the new year brings. I uh, thank you so much for for having me on the podcast. Sorry, ended up. We'll make sure that whatever your socials are, we can list them, and, and and people can get a hold of those things as well. You know, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Timbo from Kino or Timbo from Kenosha on all platforms. You can find my links at timbaltis.com. T i m b a l t e s dot com. And uh, yeah, that's about it. You know, drummers only such a cool company and i've known adam for a long time through the internet and uh so good to finally connect with you and uh yeah thank you guys for having me on the pod no worries man if you ever find yourself for whatever reason in glasgow the door's always open the coffee's always on man so just please do if you you, and if we end up in chicago we'll come hit you up say hello pizza's on me then (laughs) all right nice one tim (laughs) appreciate it man you take care thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of Drummers Only Radio. You can find us online at www.drummersonly.co.uk. Drop us a line. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Drummers Only UK. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Any questions, info at drummersonly.co.uk is the email. Or if you need leads, it's leads at drummersonly.co.uk. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.